It's good to be together this morning and to have this time of worship. And as we continue on in this time of worship, I'd like to invite you to read with me from 1 John chapter 4. You can see it on the screen. Uh, You can follow along in your Bible or you can listen as we read this together. Dear friends, let's love each other because love is from God. And everyone who loves is born from God and knows God. The person who doesn't love does not know God because God is love. This is how the love of God is revealed to us. God has sent his only son into the world so that we can live through him. This is love. It is not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son as the sacrifice that deals with our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us this way, we also ought to love each other. This is how we know we remain in him and he remains in us, because he has given us a measure of his spirit. We love because God first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates a brother or sister, he is a liar. Because the person who doesn't love a brother or sister who can be seen can't love God who can't be seen. This commandment we have from him. Those who claim to love God ought to love their brother and sister also. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful that you have called us together as your people, that you have invited us into your story. And it's our prayer this morning that as we listen to these words from your servant John, and as we meditate on them and allow them to to get into our hearts and our minds. We pray that your spirit would be at work within us to transform us more and more into the likeness of Jesus, that we might love as he loved. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Imagine a world without dictionaries. Now, for some of you, this is nearly impossible. What is the world without dictionaries? For others of you, You're asking, what is a dictionary? So if you fall in the second category, imagine a world without Google, without Siri and Alexa, and, you know, without an actual living, breathing human person, you can ask for a definition. The reason this matters is because you just heard a bunch of words written by a guy named John, and he says this one word over and over and over again, love. And it just so happens that you don't know the meaning of the word love. So I want you to now imagine with me, and Look, I know this is a stretch, but, you know, indulge me for a second. The only resource you have for understanding what the word love means is the list of song titles on my iPod. Now, if you don't know what an iPod is, your, your tape collection. So you start scrolling through the iPod, and you come across... Uh, The word love used as an adjective. The OJs have the love train. The Ohio players have the love roller coaster. And you're sitting there thinking, okay, how do I make sense of this? Then you get to the metaphorical song titles. These are really going deep. So Pat Benatar has love as a battlefield. Warren Barfield sings that love is not a fight. 
and then Bono with you too sings Love is Blindness. And you're wondering, what is going on here? So then, then you go to the, the songs that, that have love in them and an adjective to describe love. So you start out in the Southern Rock category, and the Allman Brothers have Crazy Love. Then you have the Pop Rock category, where Steve Winwood sings about a higher love. You've got, oh, what should we call it? Classic hard rock. Led Zeppelin's got whole lot of love. Uh, the, in the blues category, Luther Allison sings bad love. Uh, Motown has the Supremes with baby love. And then there's Elvis, who kind of covers all of early rock and roll with burning love. You've got the Beatles, who, as far as I'm concerned, are a category unto themselves. Uh, all you need is love, you can't buy me love, and you better hide your love away. Now, then the one that gets the award for the most bizarre song title of all, Stevie Wonder's Love's in Need of Love Today, which I can't quite wrap my head around. Love's in Need of Love Today. If you understand that one, find me afterwards, please. It's been bothering me all week. If you're like me, you get to the end of this and you just want to cry out with foreigner, I want to know what love is. Okay, you can stop imagining. Uh, the problem is, it's not much easier to figure out what love is listening to the way we use the word love. Think about all the different ways we use it. We talk about falling in love. And then sometimes we hear folks talk about falling out of love. We talk about uh, loving on someone or showing someone love. We talk about love at first sight or working at love. And if that's not confusing enough, we use the word love to describe a spouse or a child or a best friend. We also use it to describe a new vehicle. We use the word love to describe how we feel about our parents and how we feel about that nice new pair of shoes. We use the word love to describe God and also our not-so-ordinary relationship with the cowboys. We use the word love to describe Jesus and our favorite seasonal brew at Starbucks. Or to describe the Holy Spirit and as a euphemism for uncommitted, casual, physical intimacy. Love. Out of all the words we have to use, it's one of the easiest to use. So easy, in fact, that we tend to assume that we understand fully what it means and that everybody else fully understands what it means. Now, if we were to read all the way through 1 John, which was originally my plan, but I decided to spare us, 45 times John uses the word love. It seems that this is the heart of John's message, love. If he were to boil it down to one word, that's what he would choose, love. And when it comes to love, John is relentless in insisting that the defining behavior of followers of Jesus should be love. Now, he knows that this isn't going to be easy, 
He knows that sin is going to make it a constant struggle to live up to this calling. And yet he, he never backs off. He never settles. He never offers conditions or qualifications of instructions. He, he is blunt. He's direct. He's to the point. Love. 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 He, he gets more specific. He says anyone who claims to live in God's light, who claims that is to be loving, but who hates a brother or sister is still in the dark. He says that if we refuse to love another, any other, we're like Cain the murderer. In other words, John believes that if we refuse to love someone, that's tantamount to murder. Now, I would never, ever be that direct. But John, John's not concerned. John doesn't mind being fully honest about how he feels. He's 100% serious about this thing he calls love. Now, I just want to ask John, what do you mean? Because I'm the kind of person that, that wants a clear definition, a concise definition. And I can tell you that the reason that I want that clear, concise definition is so that I can know exactly what's expected of me. It's not fair if I don't know what's expected of me. Now, if you were to really get deep down in, in my thinking, and if I were to, to figure out how to be truthful and honest in ways that are difficult to do, it might be that I'm actually more interested in a definition because it, well, it, it gives me the opportunity to start looking for loopholes. Like the loophole I thought I found in elementary school. There were these these two kids in my class, and they were mean. I'm talking like mean to everybody, all the students, all the teachers. They were so mean that even though I knew better, there were a few times that I questioned whether even God could love these kids. And I had this epiphany one day that was such a relief. It dawned on me that never in the scriptures, does it say anywhere that I have to like everyone? I just have to love everyone. Now, as a kid who was wrestling with the love command that's all over scripture, this was a welcome relief. I didn't have to like them. Now, that gave me the opportunity then to take what I thought was a very appropriate action. I just stayed away. I ignored them. I pretended as if they didn't even exist, and I called it love. Now, I figured out after many years that that probably can't be called love, right? When you just pretend that another person doesn't exist, it's not exactly possible to say you love them. Now, there probably is a time and a place for, for understanding that there's a difference between liking and loving, but that was my way of, of finding a loophole. And the thing about John is John won't let us off the hook. See, we want a definition, but John spent way too much time with Jesus to give definitions. You remember the classic case in Scripture of somebody wanting a definition, right? The teacher of the law who comes to Jesus, and he asks a very understandable question, a question that I would probably ask, who is my neighbor? Be clear with me, Jesus, because I want to do just what I have to do and not anymore. But you remember Jesus' response, right? He doesn't offer an answer, at least not the kind of answer we expect, a clear, concise definition. He offers a story. 
that doesn't let the teacher of the law off the hook. He offers a story that obliterates the limits the teacher of the law wants to place on love. And it turns out that John learned a thing or two hanging around Jesus. He doesn't offer a definition. You can scour the whole letter. There's not one there. What John offers us, instead of a definition or an explanation or a description, he offers us a name and the story that goes with it. Jesus. And the thing about a story and a name is that they don't allow us to do what, if we're honest, we so often want to do, which is run and hide from the expectations that are being placed upon us. To, to, to sort of take this, this idea of love and make it into whatever fits comfortably with how we already live and behave, with who we're already comfortable with, with who we're already open to serving. But this morning, John won't let us duck or run or hide. We can't escape this reminder that he relentlessly gives us, that the love we're called to show is nothing less than the love that is at the heart of God's very character. The love we're called to live is the love Jesus demonstrated in laying down his life out of love. And that love is love that Jesus put into action first before we could ever do anything to show our love to him. This love that's, that's shown to us by God and Jesus. It's what we've celebrated all morning. It's what we celebrate every week when we gather here together. When we sing, when we, we pray, when we gather at the table, when we listen to the word of God. It, it, it's, it's what we celebrate. And yet, yet, when we get a sense of just how much love demands of us, I, I found that, that I have a canny knack for trying to figure out ways to weasel out of the call. That, that we have ways of, of rationalizing our unwillingness to follow. And, and, and partly it's because we're just not sure we can love others who haven't loved us first. And, and then we start having come to mind the people that are hard for us to love. The strangers whose faiths are so different than our own. The neighbors who are changing the landscape of the neighborhood, and not always for the better, at least in our eyes. The enemies that Jesus calls us to love, but our society keeps telling us to hate and, and, and hold at arm's length. We get good at rationalizing away our willingness to follow. The classmate who's the brunt of every joke, and we're just not so sure we're willing to take the risk of also becoming the brunt of jokes by loving and caring. The people that we cross paths with, whose lifestyles disgust us for one reason or another. The people who, who read scripture differently than us and come to different conclusions than us. How easy it is for us to rationalize away the call to love others. And it becomes especially easy because at some point, if you're like me, you've made the leap to say, okay, I know God wants us to love God and love others, but if God had to choose, if God had to pick one or the other, surely God would pick love of God over love of others. And so 
you know, we're probably safe here. We're probably good. But John, John will hear nothing of it. He insists that love of God necessitates love of others. To, to put it another way, we cannot love God if we do not love one another. God has shown us, John says, what love looks like. It looks like Jesus. Love looks like Jesus laying down his life. And now, John says, it's our turn to love. No excuses, no conditions, no loopholes. It's your turn to love. It's my turn to love. It's our turn to love. If we love God, we must also love one another. Now this is, this is heavy stuff. You know, we, we can spout those words with ease, but this is, this is difficult. This is, this is heavy. And it's partly because we're all too aware of how difficult it is for us to love, to truly love others. And it's not like John doesn't know this. Like I said, he acknowledges early in the letter, it's going to be hard. You're going to struggle with sin that keeps you from loving. But, but that, doesn't, that doesn't lead him to saying, well, just don't worry about it. You know, that's the tack some of us take when we realize how heavy this call is. We just become complacent and say, well, you know... I'm just going to struggle with this all my life, so it is what it is, and I'll kind of do the best I can, and the best really isn't something I'm going to work real hard at, but, you know, it, it'll, it'll have to be enough. Now, others of us, when we realize how heavy this, this calling is, how weighty this, this task set before us is, our response is to, to, to approach it with dogged determination. I'm going to get this done. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to train harder. I'm going to figure this out, but... But here's the thing, neither of these responses gets us very far in terms of transformation into Christ-likeness. Neither complacency nor dogged determination actually can help us become like Jesus. What will help us be transformed is the Holy Spirit. Which is why right in the middle of this text in verse 13, John starts talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit that's been generously given to us by God. John says that, that, that the Holy Spirit is, is poured out on us. And, and he, he says this because he's convinced that that's how we're going to be able to love. Now, I don't know a lot about the Holy Spirit, and frankly, I'm suspicious of anybody who says they do, because most folks in Scripture that are writing don't seem to have much more of a clue than we do. In fact, I think the Holy Spirit is maybe the best example uh, of not being able to describe something, only being able to experience it. But here's what I do know. God in Jesus promise to bless everyone who follows Christ with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is at work within us, within you and within me, shaping us, molding us, teaching us, growing within us the, the fruit of the Spirit, like love and joy, peace and patience, kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And so, while I can't define it or explain it, I trust that God's Spirit is at work in me and at work in you, that God's Spirit is at work in us. 
And I'm convinced that if we make ourselves available to the work of the Spirit within us, the Spirit will transform us so that each and every day that goes by, we'll be a little more capable of following Jesus and showing Christ-like, self-giving love. I'm convinced that the Spirit will do this. When I think of the Spirit producing Christ-like, self-giving love, I I think of uh, Jeremy and Jessica Courtney, founders of Preemptive Love Coalition. If you haven't heard of Preemptive Love Coalition, these folks, they moved to Iraq in 2007 to minister to folks devastated in the aftermath of so much turmoil that's gone on there. And, And they happened to hear someone in a hotel lobby talking about their this child that needed a life-saving heart surgery. It was a heart surgery that for those of us who live in the U.S. would be relatively easily attainable, relatively routine as heart surgeries go. But there was not a heart surgeon to be found in Iraq. And so the Courtney's, they decided to try to figure out a way with God's help through the power of the Spirit to make a difference. And now, a decade later, hundreds of children have received life-changing surgeries because they found folks who, because of their love of God, were willing to go over into harm's way and train native Iraqis to do these surgeries. And, and they've become so trusted as people who love and care that in the midst of all the devastation caused by ISIS the last few years, Preemptive love has been one of the primary facilitators and providers of relief aid. It's an incredible, incredible work they're doing. And it's happening because they've been transformed by the Spirit to show Christ-like self-giving love. I think closer to home about folks in this very church who, when others might have been nervous or worried about red tape or or worried about communication barriers, decided that they weren't going to let anything stop them from loving refugees who were settled in our community. And now, several years later, the impact is, is immeasurable. I think of the family in our church family who has decided to, to show solidarity with and, and, and live in relationship with folks in our community who are experiencing homelessness. I think of so many of you who in your own quiet, secretive ways, without wanting attention, without wanting recognition, serve others in love and care, without thinking about yourselves, only thinking about the interests of others. And I think this is the result of the Spirit of God at work transforming you more and more so that you can show Christ-like, self-giving love. There are examples all around us. And on the one hand, I'm really grateful for those examples. I'm thankful for them. They, they serve as a, as a way of, of, of recognizing the Spirit's work within us to this point. But the other thing these examples do is they give me hope. And they give me anticipation. They get me excited. You know why they get me excited? Because I can only imagine what it is that in a week or a month or a year or a decade we'll be looking at and saying this is the result of the power of the Spirit at work within God's people here. Transforming us more and more every day so that we're more capable of showing Christ-like self-giving love. I can't wait 
I can't wait to see what God does through the power of the Spirit. I'm convinced that God's ready. I'm convinced that God's ready. If only we'll make ourselves available. Right now the Spirit will will work within us, will shape us and mold us to transform us so that we're more and more capable of showing Christ-like, self-giving love. And so this morning, my hope and prayer for us is that we will open ourselves up more and more to the power of the Spirit at work in our lives. That, that we will, with gratitude, appreciate all of the ways God has poured love out on us. Love upon love upon love. And most of all, that as a result of the Spirit's work within us, we will become people who more and more every day find ways to show Christ-like, self-giving love to everyone we encounter. Dear friends, let us love one another. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing a song, and as we do, we'll have some of our shepherds out in this uh, area, just outside these doors back here, along with their spouses, and they'll be available to pray with you. If, if you have an opportunity that that is presenting itself in your life and you think this might be an opportunity God is calling me to show love and you're not sure how to get there and how to make it happen, go talk to them, share with them, invite them to to surround you in prayer as you seek to follow Jesus in loving others. If you are going through a difficult time and, and you're in a place where you need to be loved, go out there, ask them to join you and surround you in prayer. We want to be people who love one another So take advantage of that opportunity as together we stand and sing.